So I want you to imagine for a moment that a boy likes a girl. I know. It's never happened before in the whole history of the world, right? No, a boy likes a girl, and he decides to ask her out. And so they go out. They go to the movies together. They take walks together. They go play golf together. I'm talking about myself. This was when I was a kid. I don't golf anymore. They just have fun. They laugh. They go have coffee, all those good things. And then as the fall comes, a new boy comes to town, and he starts attending the school. And suddenly, this girl is very confused. She's a little bit distracted. She's paying attention to the new boy just as much as she's paying attention to him, or at least it seems to the boy that was dating her. And that goes on for a few months until finally things come to a head, and, and they sit down and they have this talk, and she says, you know, I know I haven't been very, uh, not unfaithful, but I just haven't been very attentive to you. I haven't been paying attention to you. You know, our, our relationship has been kind of rocky lately, and I just, I have to tell you, I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I like you, but I think I like him, and I just don't know how to live. I don't know how to behave anymore. I'm not sure what I should do, and I'm, I'm sorry. And he, he looks at her, and he tells her, you know, I don't like you because you're my girl. You're my girl because I like you. And I want you to know that even if you're confused about him, even if you're paying attention to him and not paying so much attention to me, even if you're distracted by all of these things, all of these other things, you're going to be my girl because I like you. You're not my girl because, because you're good or because you happen to be very, you know, cute or anything else. I like you, and that's why you're my girl. Now, if you can get the very small difference in what I just said, then you get grace. If you missed it, then you need to listen to the sermon. <laughs> because that is the greatness of grace. It is the smallest, the most minuscule difference in the entire universe, and yet it is the one thing that changes everything. And that's what we want to see today, the greatness of grace. Now, I know that grace is kind of this churchy word that we don't use very often. We use it maybe, you know, you say, oh, that dancer was very graceful, or they swam with such grace. But we just don't use it that often, and here's why. There's a funny anecdote that tells us just how unique grace is. There was a major conference of Bible scholars, religious scholars in Europe uh, quite a few decades ago. They were sitting around, and as they started this conference out, they were talking a little bit about what makes the various religions unique. And, and somebody was talking, well, what makes the Christian faith unique? Uh, and, and they said, well, maybe it's, is it the prayers? No, a lot of religions have prayers to a higher power. Was it the fact that Christians have this holy book? Well, no, a lot of religions have a, a holy book. Was it commandments? Was it doctrines? Was it men wearing funny robes? No, no, there's a lot of religions that have their religious men wear, wear funny robes. What was it that made this religion unique? And at that moment, uh, C.S. Lewis, the great scholar, walked in the room, and we, we know a little bit about him because we, we watched his movie here a few weeks ago, that story of the reluctant convert, and they, they turned to C.S. Lewis, and they all said, 
Mr. Lewis, maybe you can help us out. What makes Christianity unique? Do you know what he said? He said, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. That's why the word is hardly used, because for you and I to get grace is the one thing that changes all of the faith. And yet, unless we get grace, you don't get Christianity. If you don't get grace, you don't get Jesus, you don't get what it means to follow him, you don't get what it means to be with him. So today, we just have to get the greatness of grace. That's what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand as he gets started here. He says, what then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. What Paul says there is you either relate to God through the law or you relate to God through grace. There's no other way. You either relate to him through the law or through, under, uh, through grace. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit for us so that we can understand it. But one caveat, one little exemption before we begin, okay, you have to know, is that just because you have law doesn't mean there's no grace. Or just because you're under grace doesn't mean there's no law. Now, that sounds weird. Let's just get an example, and maybe that will help. So the other week, I was actually just this last week, I was at an awards ceremony, an awards banquet. And I was part of the crew that was assigned to set up the tables and the chairs and the displays and everything, you know, all the stuff for the banquet. So I got there early. We put out the tables and the chairs, and there were a bunch of middle school boys there helping to set everything up. And they really did a very good job. They were not your typical middle school boys, you know, grousing and whining and complaining the whole time about how they had to work and set up 500 chairs. But we were getting near the end, and I was still putting up chairs and putting up tables, and they sat down, and they just started shooting the breeze with each other, and I realized, okay, we're going to need another table and some more chairs, and so I walked over to one boy, and I said to him, go get us another table and some more chairs, and there was a moment, you know, where he, like, looked at me, and he looked at his other friends, and you could tell he was debating whether or not to do what I said. Now, do I relate to him through the law or through grace? Is he under the law or under grace towards me? No, he's under the law. The only relationship, I have never met this boy before. We have no interaction. I have no idea if he likes me or if I like him. I have no idea if he approves of me. My entire opinion of him is on the basis of his obedience to my command. That's what it means to be under the law. If you're in relationship with somebody, the entire way that they perceive you is based upon how they obey or don't obey your commands, then they are under the law towards you. And if, on the other hand, your relationship with them is primarily based upon the fact that you forgive them and you accept them, then your relationship with them is based at least in part, but probably wholly and primarily upon grace. There are plenty of people in our lives to whom you and I are primarily under the law. Who are some of those people? Cops, right? Cops. You, you don't relate to the cops under grace. Every now and then, you and I get lucky, right? And the cop will pull you over, and he takes a look in your car, and it's full of a bunch of screaming kids, and he says, good Lord, I feel bad for you. Get out of here, right? 
that's grace, but primarily you relate to the law, to the cop under the law. You have to obey, and his opinion of you is based on whether or not you keep the law. And it's the same with judges. It's the same with all enforcement officers. Who do you and I relate to under grace? The reality is, is there's not much, is there? It's your parents, uh, probably, hopefully a little bit, although some of us really only relate to our parents under the law, huh? And maybe your friends, although a lot of our friends would say, hey, if you mess me over, if you work me over, if you cheat and you steal from me too much, we're done. That's the uniqueness, just a little piece, right, of the uniqueness of grace, right? With all of these people, say, with all those people that you relate to under the law, do you sometimes get grace? Of course, Sometimes the judge looks at you and he says, hey, I see that you're having a tough time of it. I'm going to wipe out your punishment just for you. And do your parents sometimes relate to you through the law? Sure, of course they do. But if your relationship is primarily driven by your obedience to their commands and what they think about your obedience, then you are under the law to them. And if your relationship is primarily driven by whether or not somebody forgives you and accepts you and loves you, even if you do the wrong things, then you are under grace. Can you imagine then what it means to be under grace towards the king of the universe, the Lord of, of heaven and earth? That's what you and I can really discover about grace. If you take a look at the New Testament and you read through all the passages, and I, I had a chance to skim through most of them, but I stole this. Here's how much the New Testament says, the Bible says, grace is everything. According to the New Testament, grace reaches people, it appears to people, grace is poured out on people so that they find grace, receive grace, believe by grace, and share in grace. If you're a Christian, you're also chosen by grace, called by grace, saved by grace, justified by grace, living in grace, and living under grace. And that grace is with us, it works in us, and it is sufficient for us. The grace also overflows, it increases, it rains, it strengthens, and it gives access to God. And so that is why we hope in grace, grow in grace, and preach the glorious grace of God. That's a lot of grace, isn't it? That's all about grace. And if you want to see what it is, then, to live under grace towards the king of the universe, there's no better story than to look at the man who wrote these very words. The Apostle Paul was raised as a deeply converted or deeply devout and Jewish man. He was very committed to the Jewish tradition. And he was convinced that Jesus was not the Savior or the Redeemer. And he thought his calling from God was to stop all of the Christians who were telling lies about God. He described himself in his persecution of those Christians one time as zealous, even overzealous, violent, and breathing murderous threats. Until one day, he was traveling to a city called Damascus. A bright light shone from heaven. A voice called to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That voice answered him, I'm Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And it told him to go into the city and to find a man named Ananias. 
So in this city of Damascus, there was this man then named Ananias. God appeared to Ananias in a vision, and he said, go to Straight Street and find this man named Paul. Go there and baptize him, for he has put, or put your hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias, here's Ananias, right, sent to go and put his hands and pray on the very man who has killed countless other people. Ananias says, Lord, don't you know this guy, right? And don't you know the terrible things he has done, all the harm he has brought to people? But God says back to Ananias, go, he's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Ananias goes to his house on Straight Street, and he lays his hands on him. I picture this. He enters the house, and he places his hands on Paul, and he says, Brother Saul, Paul, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me to you. And he was baptized, and he received the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Christian religion was based on the law, on how good you are. There's got to be some karma in that moment, right? There, there's got to be a big, long list of all of the things that he had to do. If Paul was any of a normal person, he would have years of makeup work to do, years of reparations. I, I don't care how good of a guy you are, how repentant, how sorry of a guy you are, are you going to let somebody who has murdered people for years, yeah, it was legal murder, but still murdered people for years, get away with it? Right? If Paul is any kind of a, a normal person in a normal religion, just when Ananias says to him, brother, brother, he would have said to him, I hate you. Get out of here. And yet Ananias comes to him and he places his hands on him. And he baptizes him. And that's the greatness of grace. Right? If you catch this story, you get the Christian faith. There was no years and years of change and reparations and payments and punishment and discipline to make. There was no makeup. There was none of that. It was just grace. You know, I have to admit to you, a little moment of, of honesty. I've always had a hard time getting grace. Grace is that attitude. It's that mindset, that disposition of God. Right? Grace is the attitude by which God, for the sake of Jesus, considers us forgiven and justified. And I've always, I've always had a, a hard time with that. And you probably look at me and say, why? What, what's so hard about that? Because I look at, at my, my life, right, even I think about my, my childhood years, right? When you're a kid, your life is so emotional, just driven by emotions one moment to the next. And, and one moment, you're flying high in life, and the next moment, dad is chewing you out because you messed up. And you're, it's hard to tell because you did really mess up if he even loves you in that moment. And, and then you go on to the next moment, and then you're, you're great again, and then mom is mad at you. Even those people in your life that you're supposed to relate to through grace, it's hard to feel that grace, isn't it? 
You might forget as you look back on the years, but I remember feeling when as a, as a kid, man, I don't know if I really get what this whole attitude of God is. How could he possibly consistently look at me with grace? I don't think you can really get what grace is until you wreck the car in the middle of the night and your dad comes and picks you up and he doesn't chew you out. And I don't think you can really get what grace is until you have your own kid and they're screaming at you and then you call your mom and say, help, we need to get rescued and and mom doesn't yell at you despite the fact that you did it to her for years. And you can't really get what grace is until you're telling your dad how great you're going to be and you're going to conquer the world and all these wonderful things you're going to do and your dad just says, I'm with you, son, all the way. Let's do it, right? And you can't really get how grace, great grace is until you tell your mom that you're, you're questioning the whole world and everything that she ever taught you, and she just listens and loves you anyway. And that is just a piece of grace. Can you imagine that you and I, we wake up every day questioning all the things of the world and the way it is, and God just says, let me listen to you? Can you you imagine that you and I, we wake up every day saying, I'm going to be so great, and here's all the wonderful things that we're going to do, and God, God just says, yeah, I'm with you. Let's do it. Right? Can you, can you imagine every day we wake up and we've, we've wrecked the car, we've burned down the house, we've done other, some crazy, dumb, ridiculous thing in our lives, and God just says, it'll be okay. I forgive you. That's why it's so hard to get grace. You and I live in the moment to moment, and God says from age to age and generation to generation, you have messed up and you have broken this world and you have broken your own lives and you've broken everybody else around you. And yet there is still grace. Do you know how to see if you, you really get grace? I've got 10 bucks here. I'm going to give it to you. What are you going to do with the 10 bucks? I think most of you would look back at me and say, 10 bucks, Pastor? I don't want 10 bucks. You need the 10 bucks more than I do. <laughs> you just keep the 10 bucks. But imagine, imagine for a second that you're the average American. You're the average American. The average American is about $100,000 in debt. They got a couple of, of kids. They're trying to figure out how they're going to pay for college. Imagine they're that average American. And I don't say I've got 10 bucks. I don't even have 10,000 bucks. I got $10 million. I'm going to give you $10 million. Some of you are still going to say, Pastor, I don't want your money. I don't take anything in life that I haven't earned or deserved, so I don't want it. Some of you are going to say, I'd be glad to work for it, but I'm not taking it as a free gift. Some of you are just going to say, I don't want it anyway because I don't want that kind of a life. But some of you are going to say, 10 million bucks? That would change everything. And I'm going to live that way. I'm going to live like I inherited and received $10 million today. And I'm going to live like it cost you, Pastor, like it cost you everything. Do you know how to live that way today? That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, you are no longer slaves to sin, but you are slaves to righteousness. That's grace. You get grace when you realize just how much God spent on the cross 
so that he could have you and me. He didn't just spend $10 or $10,000 or $10 million, but he spent the infinite blood of his own son so that each and every day you and I could wake up and say, we burned down the house, we wrecked the car, we stole something that wasn't ours, we lied to our parents, whatever it was, so that we could wake up and say, God, I'm going to conquer the world today because I'm the, just the smartest guy there ever was. God, I have no idea what's going on in life anymore. Did you tell me the truth or lies? We could say all of that to him every day. And he would still say, I love you, you're mine, and I forgive you. He would say to us like that boy says to that girl, you're not mine because you like me. You're mine because I like you. I like you, I chose you, and you will always be mine. Friends, that's grace. And that grace is so great. Let's pray that we would know that great grace every day. Would you pray with me here? Lord Jesus, grace is such a hard thing to get. When we live every day under so much law, all of our lives, it demands so much from us. We have to be good people. We have to do the right things. We have to make our neighbors and our kids and our wives and everybody happy. There's so much obedience in law every day. But with you, we are under grace. You take our sins. You take our weaknesses. You take our failures. You take all of our imperfections. And you put them on your son so that we can be slaves to you. That is great grace. And we pray that you would let us know that grace today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.